We Turned Out Okay is a show about children and families. You get to see into the mind of a child development expert, and you'll learn tons about kids and why they do what they do. It's for grown-ups, so it's not always G-rated. But it's almost always PG. And we'll let you know when it's PG-13 or higher. Also, you can expect some rabbit holes and detours. But we return to the topic at hand. Besides, rabbits are awesome. What have you got against rabbits? Anyway, sit back, relax, and prepare to learn about how to stay sane while raising your little kids. Enjoy the show! Come on, guys! We turned out okay. The modern parent's guide to old school parenting. I want to hang upside down from the swing set. Welcome to We Turned Out Okay with host Karen Locke Cole. I want to climb to the top of that tree. And now, here's your host, Karen Locke Cole. Hello, and welcome to We Turned Out Okay. This is episode 279 of the show that helps you change your child's behavior from bad to good, feel happy inside, and truly enjoy the time that you spend with your family. And I'm very excited to bring you this episode. It feels like it's been a long time coming. Today, we are talking with Jackie Lomenzo, who is a picky eating coach, not just for kids, but for adults as well. She comes by this knowledge, honestly, because she was a very picky eater until she was into her adulthood. And you'll get to hear all about that today. So I'm really, really excited to bring that to you. Before we do, we've got a bunch of segments and fun stuff to talk about. So let's get started. The first thing I want to share is that each week, in addition to the podcast, I have started doing, and this is this is going really, really well. I'm very excited about the feedback I'm getting about this. A Facebook Live called Magic Words for Parents in our Facebook group, the We Turned Out Okay private Facebook group, and a YouTube Live uh, which is in it's done on Thursdays, but it's embedded in the show notes for this post, which everything that I'm going to talk about today is available at we turned out okay dot com slash two seventy nine. And that's where you'll find this YouTube live. Um, and each of them pertain to today's topic. So that for me, that's been the real breakthrough here. And that I think is what people are loving about it. Um, so you'll get the benefit of this conversation on the podcast. And then you'll also get these magic words for parents that I do in the Facebook group. They are, I try to make them super quick. They're, they take place on Monday mornings. And what I do is make it so that you have one small thing to bring into your parenting week. Uh, this week, it's I'm, I'm calling it One Way to Stop Picky Eating. And it's like a three minute video I'm going to share. Usually it's a word or a phrase or a sentence um, that will help you. And so this is what I did yesterday morning, <laughs> although I'm recording this before I've done that. So um, because I do them live on and, and I got to get this break in here before I, I do them. <clears throat> That's just kind of how the timing works out. So anyway, it'll be one way to stop picky eating. And if you go to our Facebook group, which you can get to by going to facebook.com slash we turned out okay, and then clicking the link to join the group, that is how you can you can watch this one and all the other ones. They're tagged. So I have figured out how to tag the magic words, at least better than I than I used to. And um, so you can find them all in the Facebook group. And then the YouTube Live, I'm going to expand on the one way from Monday and on the in the YouTube Live on Thursday, which will take place if you're listening to this in real time in two days. I am going to talk about three ways to stop picky eating. 
And these three are taken directly from my conversation with Jackie today. She has these mind-blowing ideas about how to um, how to stop the picky eating. And the other thing that I wanted to bring up that's special about this episode is I have created a new free guide. So I do offer these free guides. I've got one on potty training successfully, and I've got one on handling every temper tantrum. I, in the last couple of weeks, have been sharing about this new one. It is called Five Ways to Handle Your Picky Eater. And it's actually, there's a bonus sixth way, which I I haven't shared about that yet, I don't think, but it's in the video and it's in the checklist. Um, You can read this checklist and watch this video in like an hour and tonight's dinner can be better with your picky eater. You can start making this change like right now. So go to weturnedoutok.com slash picky to get that free guide. And I hope you do. Um, <clears throat> pardon me, people are finding it very useful. So that is everything that pertains to this episode and this in this week's show. Um, I want to jump into a segment that I started a few, probably a few months ago now. And um Again, it's something that's that seems to be kind of gaining steam in a way that I really, really like. So it's the parenting news segment. And today's is all about this idea of STEM. And it actually, for me, it comes from, so STEM is science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Uh, if you have not already heard about STEM, you will most certainly hear about it um, once your child enters school because or gets to school age because everybody is trying to... Um, do stuff that has to do with STEM. We're all, you know, all schools and teachers and educators and uh, everybody that has to do with with education is trying to push this. And the reason for it, well, so it's really interesting because I this this goes as far back as 2005, which is 14 years ago, that people started saying STEM is what matters. We need to teach our kids science, technology, engineering, and mathematics above all else. Because that is how, that's where the jobs are going to be for the future. I think that was a really big part of this. That's where the jobs are going to be for the future. And um, that's how people will earn a living wage. And that's how America will sort of move forward. And what I think an unintended consequence of this is that really important things have been forgotten in the rush to teach everybody STEM. And so this is actually, this this bit of parenting news comes by way of a tweet <laughs> from at wobbly underscore Ernie, who tweeted out this week, or last week, I guess. This is the entirety of the tweet here. 2005, study STEM. The humanities are worthless. 2010, study STEM. The humanities are worthless. 2015, study STEM. The humanities are worthless. 2019, and this is in all caps, our democracy is in crisis for some reason. And I do, I get the humor in it. Like it makes me, it makes me smile that our democracy is in crisis for some reason, because of course what, what wobbly Ernie is, is linking to is this idea that like when we ignore the humanities, when we ignore this whole part of, of society, so humanities, I, actually, this came up for me because my uh, youngest is reading um, Socrates' arguments. Is is this? It's this great big book. My God, he's reading essays uh, that were written by, if I remember correctly, that were written by Plato. I think they were written by Plato. Gosh, I hope that's right. <laughs> Maybe not. 
Um, anyway, they were written by some, they were written down by somebody else and it might've been Plato, but it might not have been. So please forgive me if I don't know my humanities very well um, or remember them very well. But anyway, they are Socrates's words written down by somebody else. And um, the idea, so my son is reading these and he keeps coming up with these, these ideas and thoughts that, that don't, that seem very modern but are that harken back to like pre, you know, prehistory, basically, like sort of when things were just first start be, starting being written down. And uh, it turns out that Socrates was kind of a political, um, like a lot of the things he said were, were to, to, to tick off uh, politicians or, or thinkers of the time. He wanted people to think differently. He was like a, the original protester, I guess is how I've been thinking of him. Uh, my youngest has told me that he would go out and specifically ask priests about um, these big ideas that do have to do with with um, religion, but that also have to do with the humanities. In other words, human beings and people and social life and stuff like that. And Socrates would then speak about how ignorant these supposed, you know, leaders were in in those um genres that they had they were supposedly knew really really well and so he was calling attention to the idea that um we that we need to question authority right that our leaders are not always necessarily going to have our best interests in mind all these things and and this was like thousands of years ago and so when i when i bring it back to this tweet about how the emphasis for the last 19 years has been on or sorry 14 years has been on studying science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, and forgetting about all else, we do end up with this, There, it, it says our democracy is in crisis for some reason. And, and so for me, the crisis has really been that no one is listening to anybody else. Everybody is shouting about their ideas and refusing to listen to other ideas. That's one problem. And the other problem is it's incredibly uncivil. Um, it's it's much more about tearing the other person down than it is about um, than it is about like sharing ideas and trying to make things right for constituents. I feel like this is taking place in all parts of the political spectrum. This is not a, a red or blue issue. This is not conservatives versus uh, liberals. This is not Democrats versus Republicans. It is it is taking place in every corner of, of our democracy. And that's why I wanted to highlight this. My question for you is, um, do you feel that way? Do you feel like, or, or I guess, yeah, I guess that is my question. Do you feel that way, first of all? But second of all, um, how can we work if we agree that, that STEM it needs, that we need to concentrate on other things besides STEM? My question for you is, how do we do that? And and there's one one aspect of this answer that I think is really interesting. There is now, uh, in the last few years, I've been hearing about something called STEAM, which is science, technology, arts, math, uh, engineering, and mathematics. And that, to me, feels like a push in the right direction. Arts are um, are very, very important. I mean, this is an art, what I do here, right? This is part of the arts. And, um, and, and, books are part of the arts and and making paintings and quilting and knitting and 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 every sculpture i mean everything that has to do with someone sharing a piece of their creative work um that is the arts and that's a huge huge part of this i think a part that 
and I don't know how we can, what acronym we can fit to make this happen. Um, but a part of this is political and it is it is to do with changing the public discourse, to bringing humanities back into public discourse. And I don't necessarily just mean the teachings of Socrates. What I mean is um, thinking about the human beings that we are are raising, right? And the human beings that we live with and the human beings in our community and the human beings in our country. Um, because we need to we need to get back to that. This is this is what I really firmly believe. And so I think I'm going to change the question. I am going to ask you to um, to really consider how can we bring what is the acronym? <laughs> what is the acronym that we can bring into being so that not only science, technology, arts, engineering and mathematics are getting um, are getting fostered, but so is civility. And so is um, a, a return to the kind of the public discourse and, and the, the needs, the, 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 how do we satisfy what people need in their lives? Like how do we, how do we foster um, a society that cares about itself and the people in it? I guess that's, that's where I'll leave it. So I am like, I'm, I'm, I'm playing with the word steamy right now, but I can't make that why do anything quite yet. So, so definitely um, get in touch with me and go to Karen at we turned out okay.com. You can email me there, or you can go to my contact page. Um, we turned out okay.com slash contact. If you are out in the, uh, in like the Twitter world or, um, you know, into, into our Facebook group, maybe post something about this. Um, if you're on Instagram, I am at Twitter and Instagram. I am at we turned out okay. I am not on there as much as I wish I could be. Just the tendon disorder keeps me from being able to be on there um, too too often. But I try to check in in each place like once a week. And um, so so definitely if you if you've come up with a great acronym for how we can bring in the humanities, um, let me know. Let me know what it is. I would really really love to hear that. And you can get in touch with me in any of those places. All right. So on. To our next segment, which actually this is about, um, this is about we turned out okay itself and and how it is created and um, and who you know is <laughs> who is helping in that. I guess is what I will say. I want to say first, thank you so much for sharing the show. Uh, we do this show to give back to the parenting community, and it means so much to us, to Ben and I. That's who I'm talking about when I when I talk about us, quote unquote. It means so much to us if you share it with one friend or into a parenting group that you like. Uh, if you subscribe so that you never miss an episode, that is really much appreciated. And um, it's also helpful because you get to do that happy dance that you do when a podcast comes into your uh, feed that you love, when a new one, you know, when it updates. And also, I want to say thank you so much for your wonderful and positive reviews. They are staggering to me, and I'm so, so grateful for them. Thank you. Thank you. My time in creating this show is supported by the members of our Ninja Parenting community. I give members direct support and help with the many challenges that parents of young children face. And in turn, the members of our community support the show. And if you are a member, I am so grateful to you. If you're listening to this show, you'll know that I specialize in helping parents get out of a negative space, get past the tough parts of raising kiddos, and get into the fun stuff. I do way more of that in NPC, which is the acronym for the Ninja Parenting Community, than I could ever do on We Turned Out Okay. 
We have live members only calls. We have a parent quarterly focus, which right now is on sibling relations. We've got courses and challenges and daily interactions that's all available online 24 seven. I want to help you get to the fun stuff. I want to help you feel that true connection with your young child. And if you're not there yet, I want to help you navigate this tough stuff to get there. If you are not yet a member, go to weturnedoutokay.com slash work with me. That's all one word to become one. Or you can find out more about the Ninja Parenting community by coming to our NPC Open House, which is coming up on Thursday, May the 30th at 2 p.m. EST. Even if you can't be there at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, sign up for it because you can watch the replay. You'll have access to the replay. I am throwing open the doors to the Ninja Parenting community so that you can find out what is so special about it. You can find out what members love about it, how the community turns family time into the best time of the day. And I am also taking questions. I'm so excited. You can get them answered by by going uh, and signing up for this. And I will answer them during the open house tour. So um, sign up for all of that by going to weturnedoutokay.com slash tour. And I will see you there. And right now, on with the show. My guest knows your concerns about picky eating firsthand as a person who was a picky eater herself. She brings a unique perspective to We Turned Out Okay as a woman who coaches people to help their kids stop being picky eaters. And also she helps adults stop being picky eaters. And also she offers retreats and masterminds and other really cool things that don't have anything to do with picky eating, but that have everything to do with supporting particularly women, but grownups anyway, as they as they try and take on the challenges and, and enjoy their lives. And uh, as a result of that, she has everything to do with feeling happy inside, which is one of the big three tenets at We Turned Out Okay. My guest is a world traveler who has learned so much about the joys of connecting with others and getting out of our own comfort zones. She is the author of a wonderful children's book about picky eating and and so much more. She brings this and lots more to our conversation today. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Jackie Lomenzo. Welcome, Jackie. I'm so glad to have you. Thank you so much. What an intro. I love that. <laughs> this is this is super fun. So I, I always, it's really interesting the way that, that, we connect online and I have, I don't usually bring this up on the show, but it's, I get solicited for people to come on the show an awful lot more than people actually get on the show. And um, you, you are here because you did that in a really wonderful uh, way that was not only supportive, but, but friendly and, and just cool. And so I'm really glad to welcome you onto the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Uh, it, I, I understand uh, from reading it at your website, which is JackieLomenzo.com, I understand that you and I have lived a little bit of twin lives. This is how I think of it. I was mm-hmm. raised in Ashland, which is just outside of Boston, and you were raised in Needham in Massachusetts. Yeah. And um, I studied early childhood education in Connecticut, and so did you. <laughs> I went to UConn. It sounds like you went to the University of Hartford. I did. I did. That is so funny. And, I love it. And there's even more. So um, you write about studying abroad, and then I'm like, she's not going to say Florence. And then you said Florence, Italy, <laughs> which is ah. I spent I spent six months in Florence when I was a junior in college. Um, oh and it was, it was it was I took a, a total break from from human development, family relations, which is what I had been, I had been doing. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
it was all that was a semester of art history and language and you know learning Italian and stuff like that and it was it was one of the best things I ever did it helped me get out of my comfort zone um I would love to hear about your experience in Florence and what that was like for you yeah so I mean all the things that you just said same with me so I was (laughs) in school for early early childhood education and from pretty much my second semester. My first semester was, you know, sort of the prerequisite kind of just general college classes, but starting my, my second semester, um, and then pretty much until I graduated, it was, you know, fast and furious education world. You know, we were in classrooms at, at university of Hartford, they have a school on campus. It's the magnet school. And, um, So from pretty early on in college, it was, you know, learning about child development, learning about reading, learning about literacy. And uh, they actually told me early my freshman year that if I wanted to study abroad, I had to go my first semester sophomore year, which is early. We were, my friend and I, I went with, I went with my friend Becca, who is also in my program. Um, We were a full year younger than everybody who was there. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, when they said that, I was like, well, I guess I'm going sophomore year, no problem. You know, it was not even, not even a question yeah. for me. And my mom actually studied in Siena when she was in college. Oh and so gosh. that was like, so cool, um, to get to go there. Uh, so I knew I, I had never been to Italy. I had been to Ireland at that point, but, uh, it was a school trip. And so I knew I was like, whatever you tell me I have to do, I will get it done. And, and we made it happen. So I love, you know, I, I did, I did the art history stuff, which I had never studied art before. I did, mm-hmm. you know, Italian classes. I did um, some actually some, some culture classes, Italian culture classes. And then I have to tell you my hardest class that I took there was wine tasting. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and it was so funny because it was a once a week class. Yeah. And of course, by the end, like we've tried how, how many wines in three hours <laughs> where like my notes at the end were just like scribbles. I didn't even know what I was writing. <laughs> but the funniest part was that my teacher, my instructor was full Italian and you know, she spoke English, but it was broken English. Mm-hmm. And so on tests, we would you know, it's like trying a wine and, and writing about it. What do you smell? What do you taste? And she always just was like, nope, that's wrong because it wasn't this exact answer that I had. <laughs> and, and so it was, it was so funny. So we, that was the class that I had to pick. Is it a pass fail or is it a letter grade? And we got one pass fail. So we, it didn't hurt our that GPA. And we, yeah. <laughs> I had to pick wine tasting. Wow. It so it's funny. So. Cause, cause you wouldn't, I mean, not that I thought of it as if this is going to be a fluff semester or anything like that, but it was serious. I mean, like, oh, yeah, it was yeah. Um, we had I don't know how yours worked, but we had five days of a week of Italian. So we would go every day um, to the school where, you mm-hmm. know, the classes were taught. But actually, we did that for Italian. What we mostly did was we would we would meet. So for the art history classes, we would meet at different like we would Medium. go to, you know, uh, a cathedral or the Uffizi uh-huh. or, or some other some other thing because Florence is full of amazing, amazing, amazing stuff. Um, But there was so much, first of all, it was, it was tougher academically than I had thought it was going to be, which Mm -hmm. was not a bad thing. But then the other thing that I thought was so cool is I would be walking around Florence like after a class or after a couple of weeks or whatever and seeing what they were talking about all over the city. For example, uh, the the de' Medici family did a lot of the building and work in in Florence over the mm-hmm. sort of centuries. And everywhere you go, 
carved into buildings is the three like the three sphere symbol of the of the Domenici family and it's like god there it is again like <laughs> yes well that's so funny you say that that's the university I went to oh, Lorenzo wow. de Medici oh that's so yes. cool was it called the Scuola Lorenzo de Medici uh-huh that's the one that I went to <laughs> no <laughs> So I went like 20 years ago. This is oh so my gosh. cool. Well, I went 10. I went 10 years ago wow. this fall. Mm-hmm. Oh wow. my gosh. Okay, so wild. that's really, really cool. <laughs> we will have to, We this is this is now like, I, I feel like we're threatening to go out of the realm of what our listeners are really going right. to care about right now, but we're going to yeah. have to get together and talk about this at some point. I, so cool. I am totally up for that. <laughs> so um, before we get into the, the the book and the picky eating and stuff like that, which I, I know a lot of people are really excited about that, there's a, there's another aspect to your adult career, sort of like what you've done post-college that I think is really fascinating. And actually, I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, you t- you write about learning as you, when you first became a teacher that um, you were informed one, one day, three years in, that you, quote, wouldn't get a pay raise for six years. And when you did, it would be $250 per year. And you write about feeling shocked and completely undervalued. And I just wondered if you could share a little bit about that time and, and, and what that was like for you and kind of what you did about it. Absolutely. Yeah. So I actually had a really hard time getting a job, a teaching job outside of college or, or as I was graduating. Mm-hmm. And, and I was, I mean, I was in the trenches. I was full-time student teaching, you know, that's part of the program, not getting paid, but by the end of the semester, I was the teacher. Yeah. And so I, I mean, I was, I had all the confidence I needed. I was ready to take on a full classroom and I applied everywhere in Connecticut, everywhere in Boston. I even was looking into New York, which I would have needed a different certification. And I got nothing, mm-hmm. like not even interviews. It was wild. And, and what everybody was saying was, oh, you don't have a master's. Mm, <laughs> I was which like, that's what I well, have. Mine well, is a master's. Not yet. You know, I was like, oh, I need a break. I need to, I need some experience before I then go back. Right. Yeah. So I was getting a little discouraged, but very, um, very much was still looking for something and ended up. um, So one of my professors at University of Hartford was his family. I ended up nannying for for his son and got to know his wife really well. And it was just a a really good family that I got to know. And so she was a um, she was the director of a nonprofit in Manchester, Connecticut, Mm -hmm. and they had a preschool and a before and after school program. And so she said, you know, you're overqualified, but we'd be lucky to have you, (laughs) you know, if you can't find something, you know, you have a place here, which was just so sweet and, and actually was a great place to start for me. Um, so I was the before and after school coordinator for one of the campuses. And in the meantime, I also was helping her with some administrative work, which sort of got my foot in the door on the business side. Um, And I always say, you know, no regrets. Every single thing I did got me to where I am. But I think looking back, I probably could have gone to school for business or maybe could have gone back to school for business and maybe still, maybe still will. Mm -hmm. Um, So this, you know, the, the administrative side of this, this 
school and this nonprofit was a really cool sort of marriage between the two of business and education. Yeah. So I did that for my first year out of college. And then, um, she was the one who got the connection to, for me to go teach in China. So that was my first teaching experience. It was in Beijing, China. And so I will share a little bit more about that story. If we have time when it comes to the picky eating stuff, because that's when everything for me changed. It's up next on the list. (laughs) Next. Um, and, and so then after China, I came back home to Boston and knew, you know, I, I needed another adventure. I wasn't sure what was next. And I have a lot of family in Austin, Texas and love it down here. I'm actually currently here. Um, and, and so I packed up, I drove down with my best friend who I went to China with and I ended up starting, um, subbing. I started subbing at the school that my aunt was working at. She was the assistant principal there. Mm -hmm. And, um, in the meantime, I was starting my coaching business. So, um, so that's sort of where everything, like I, I shifted into the coaching world, but always sort of had my foot in the door in the education world and in, in elementary schools. So I subbed for that first year while I was building my business. And, and then I ended up getting, um, I, I actually emailed the principal and said, Hey, you know, keep me on the sub list. I'm trying to figure out what's next. And she said, well, if you're looking for something more full time, I have an operations manager position available and it's all administrative work. And I think you'd be great at it. And I just laughed because I was like, well, that's, you know, similar to what I did in Connecticut. I have the experience. I was, I was again, qualified for that. And it was the business side of education. And I just was like, this was made for me, you know? So I, I took the position and I did that for three years and, and it wasn't until my second year in, I mean, my first year was challenging. I was learning a ton. My second year was like, Oh, this is a breeze, you know? And then that spring of my second year going into sign for my third year, I was sort of debating, do I stay? Do I, you know, what, what's happening here? Because I want to make sure I'm still learning and growing and being challenged, which I was starting to feel like, okay, maybe I've learned this position enough that it's not as exciting. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's when I had the meeting and they said, oh, well, because of your experience, because of your qualifications, you've actually already capped the pay scale. And, um, so here's this chart that it's like very confusing to look at. And once I broke it down and confirmed with the, you know, the higher ups, yeah, it was going to be six years before I hit the next pay level, which was honestly, I'm not exaggerating. It was $250 a year more. Wow. And, and so that I literally, I, I remember sitting in that room and then I remember going home. I remember talking to my parents about it and talking to my boyfriend about it. And I just felt like, how can I be? So at this point, I think I was um, 26, 27. Mm-hmm. How can I be at this point in my life where I'm full of energy? I have so much drive and sit and not grow, right? Like, how can I not go from year this year to next year with growth in yeah. development, in pay, in just move upward movement, you know? And so in the meantime, sort of behind the scenes of this job that I had as operations manager, I started um, working with this friend who's now business partner. Her name is Holly Metz, and she lives uh, 40 minutes south of Austin. And we started working together because we were both sort of looking for an extra side hustle, side gig, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. and found... um, found network marketing to be something that we could do in our own time. And then I can, I could talk about this forever, but to keep it super simple, <laughs> we basically realized that the training that we were getting in network marketing was just not 
it wasn't, didn't feel good. You know, we didn't want to sell products to our family and friends. We mm. wanted to do something that was really fulfilling, that felt really good and felt in alignment with who we were. And so we ended up starting a Facebook group, sort of just off the bat, like, let's just see if we can start sharing some of the training that we're getting that's different training than what we're all hearing all the time. And we started this Facebook group and it went from zero to 4,000 members in a month. Oh and gosh. I couldn't even tell you how we did it. I mean, honestly, it was, it was just sharing that we have a new way of trying to do network marketing, which was more just creating curiosity, building a following in a really natural way. Um, and, and just having this, um, sort of attraction marketing was what we were calling it. And so this group is called elevate like a boss. And that has sort of always been growing in the, in the background of all the education stuff that I was working on. And so what I decided for, um, for that, go back, 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 sorry. (laughs) rewind to when I was sitting at in that meeting and I went home and I thought about it and processed it. I said, well, why don't I continue building Elevate Like a Boss in the meantime, continue writing my children's book in the meantime, because that was still a draft on my computer at that point Mm -hmm. and, and sign on for one more year and just sort of have these things in the background that are, I can start building, but I also can sort of do this position with my eyes closed and they don't want me to leave yet. So it was sort of a win-win in that way. Um, but I also knew I couldn't stick around for those six years. You know, I wasn't being valued. And, and the hard part was it wasn't my principal who I was very close with and sitting, looking, she's the one telling me this it's way, way, way higher up. And she had no say in it, you know? So it wasn't, you know, let me convince her all the hard work I'm doing. She knew the hard work I was doing and her hands were tied. And so having somebody else come in after me who didn't have the experience and didn't, you know, the position didn't even require a degree. So, so they were almost like, well, we can pay someone a lot less actually. And so then I started feeling like, okay, well, you know what, as soon as this third year comes to a close, then it is again, sort of this win-win I get to step and grow in a separate way, but somebody else gets to fill this position where, you know, it is them stepping into a position that, you know, they hadn't filled before. And that was kind of exciting in that way. So, I mean, of course it all worked out and it's still all working out, but, um, but that was a big shock for me. It it was very eye opening to feel like, whoa, like I'm just a number, I'm just a title here, you know, and, and to not feel like, you know, they can see how hard or how not hard I'm working. That was the other thing I was like, I could be really slacking off and making the same amount. And that doesn't motivate yeah, me. Yeah. Right. You know, I, I'm like, I really am a go-getter and to know that I could be doing the bare minimum or I could be busting my butt and I'm making the same amount. Like clearly that wasn't like, that wasn't in alignment with me. And so I've known for a long time. Um, I've, I, I have the entrepreneurial blood. My mom does. She passed down, and um, she actually works at Babson. Oh, um, cool! That's a college which, near us, which you know, yes, yeah, yeah. biggest or I think it's the top entrepreneurial college in the country. Oh, I believe very cool. last time I checked, um, which is super cool. And so, so I've always sort of had this in me, and and I all of a sudden was like, okay, I think I think it's really my chance. You yeah, know, I think for all yeah. these reasons, it makes sense for me to take this leap. And, and I've been able to build these things in the background that, you know, I'm not just like, oh, I'll figure it out. You know, I have, yeah, you had a plan. You, you had something already started. I love the, Mm -hmm. the, the concept of a side hustle. I think that's, you know, it's completely, uh, I mean, multiple streams of income is where it's at. (laughs) I really believe that. Yeah. And, and I, and then that's what we teach and elevate like a boss where like, you know, you can't rely on one thing 
And it can be really fun. You know, your side hustle can be a really fun thing that also produces you a side stream of income. So So just thinking thinking about the word undervalued. And I, I, as we're recording this, the episode that has just dropped on my show live is um, my conversation with Megan Wilson. Uh, It's episode 276. I'll link to it in the show notes. And she talks about she had before she had children she worked in um in a in a really interesting sort of global uh systems and and she she researched and studied and worked with people all around the world to to help everybody live a you know a good life whatever that meant to them mm-hmm. and um it involved a lot of sort of working with nonprofits and 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 learning about and living in different places and seeing how people work and but she always felt really sort of plugged into like the the now you know what i mean the the exciting um opportunities for people not just in the US or Canada where she's from but but all over the world and she had a baby and she immediately felt Like she'd gone from this wonderful kind of macro world to a micro world where um, in a way it was wonderful because it was her and her child. But in another way, that was completely devalued, undervalued. Like nobody, you know, there's there's no (laughs) there's no sort of money to be made in uh, like nobody pays you for being the housewife. You know what I mean? I think is that that is paraphrasing. That's not exactly what she said, but um, she she talked about how just undervalued she felt going from um you know a a job where she was earning a lot of money and she was doing a really good job I don't know if she was earning a lot of money but she was earning a living and she was contributing Mm -hmm. in a big way to the world and then and then all of a sudden now she is out of that uh you know kind of flow and 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 angry about it feeling a little bit bummed out that like she's doing this really important work and it is not being recognized and um I, I just I bet you that listening are, are quite a few parents who feel that way uh, and, and the way that you did as well, where you, you know, you yeah. think I think there's this idea that like if you go into teaching because I spent, um you know, nearly a decade as a preschool teacher and I was in a, a program that was wonderful. I mean, it's it's a state uh it was partly town run. Well, it was, it, it's actually now been incorporated into the school system in the town. And then it was, it was all, we were, we were in a school building. Um, we were sort of funded through them, but we were also, we are also, even now they are a tuition based, but we, I mean, we didn't, everybody jokes, you don't go into education for the money. Right. But I feel right. like if there isn't, it's a form of respect. Mm-hmm. And if you're, if you're, if you've got to wait six years for your $250 pay raise in the in the sector of education, whether it's teaching or whether it's something else, I, I just think it's it's almost a it's almost an insult. And I I'm not mm-hmm. to say that the people there were trying to insult, but because because of course they were. Right. You you mentioned that your boss's hands were tied. Yeah. Um, but it's it's really frustrating. And I think one of the things I like about your message is that we can we don't have to live with that. We can we can get out of it you know we might not know the way right away but we can do it (laughs) Mm -hmm. absolutely it's so true it's so true yeah yeah so um so i we got to go back to china though um and i what i love about the uh, the part of your story where you where you go to china is it it, the the picky eating comes in here so i would love for you to share about that yes okay so before china so i was working at the nonprofit, and i 
my boss, this, this woman, Laura, who had gotten me this job and she shouts across the hall. She says, Jackie, you're going to China. And I laughed at her and I was like, well, this isn't a travel job. haha." But I, I was like, what are you talking about? And she said, I have this friend who actually came and studied at University of Hartford and he is from Beijing and he's opening up a preschool and it's going to be an international preschool and kindergarten. And he just asked me directly for a teacher recommendation. And she goes, so you're 23, you're going, sorry. You know, she's like, you have no <laughs> excuse. And, and I just was like, oh my gosh, well, tell me more. I mean, I'm not saying no. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very interested. And so long story short, about two months after this conversation, well, within a week, we had said, I had said yes. I had asked um, this man if he needed more than one teacher because I wasn't sure I could do it alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, because all my friends were teachers at that point. And I said, I said, I'll find somebody. And my best friend, Charlotte, actually had just um, gotten waitlisted. She was doing uh, City Year in Boston oh, um, cool. with AmeriCorps and got all these awards, had a killer first year, and was ready for year two and got waitlisted. And it was like nobody could explain it. There was no reasoning behind it. Wow. And I called her and she said, I said, what are you doing next year? And she's like, well, kind of a touchy subject. I just got waitlisted and I don't know what happened. And I said, well, do you want to go teach in China with me? And she's like, what? You know, <laughs> so, I mean, it was just like wild fate, crazy, crazy, you know, alignment happening with just timing and what we both needed and all that good stuff. So fast forward two months, we're on a flight to China. At this point in my life, before I am in China, I was a very, very picky eater. I I ate what I call the kids' menu diet: mac and cheese, pizza, uh, chicken chicken nuggets, French fries, uh, you know, pasta. No thanks on the sauce. Mm-hmm, you know, just mm-hmm. very, very bland. Um, no fruits, no vegetables, um, and very unhealthy, really. Um, and, and I was, I, I was healthy in the sense that I, you know, had my regular checkups and my doctor was never concerned and sort of was like, take an extra vitamin, you know, you're, you're a healthy person. And that, that was it. It was just, I had this, this, this struggle of trying new food and, and it became, I mean, I know it was totally mental. It was totally, you know, sort of how I was, how I was as a kid and sort of the dynamics that happened at my household and in my life. And, and then how I later started to tell people I'm the pickiest eater you've ever met, you know, and, and we can chat about that too. But anyway, you need to know that going into it because I, everybody's like, what are you going to eat? You're going to China Mm. for a year. You're going to eat a lot of white rice, you know, what are you going (laughs) to do? And, and I, you know, in those two months, and I think this is where a lot of the magic happened. I sort of just prepared for a big change. I just knew that I, that it wasn't going to be scary. I knew, I mean, going in general was scary, right? So the food was like not even huge in my mind. Yeah. And I just was open to change. And, and that I think was a really big piece for me. And I didn't start trying things before I went. I wasn't like, okay, well now I got to try everything because I'm going. Yeah. Not at all. I just prepared for a change. And so we get there and well, I always say it's the first night, but actually the very first night we got there, we're walking around with, with a friend, this, this woman who met us at the airport, you know, who became a friend yeah. who's Chinese. And, and we said, 
we literally said, do you have any like non-Chinese food? Oh my gosh. Like what? We were like, I don't know. Like, do you have any like, I don't know, like Italian food? We literally were like, we're just like not ready for this yet. You know, we were so tired. We were so jet lagged and we just wanted comfort food. Yeah. Take us to a grocery store. We'll just like make some pasta. And it was like, that's not even an option. Wow. And we didn't realize that, you know, we ended up finding some international food stores and, you know, we'd find our like little jar of pesto that we would like savor. But anyway, so really we say our first night, our first real dinner is where everything changed. And so we're sitting at this big table. It was a big circle table. And it was, uh, the, the professor who had studied at university of Hartford, who opened the school, the owner of the school and a bunch of, um, some, some shareholders of the school who were sort of involved in some of the decision-making and their wives. And there was probably 10 of us total at the table, including me and Charlotte. Mm -hmm. And they start bringing out all these dishes on this giant lazy Susan. And so they're spinning this, this big, you know, wheel of food in front of us. And they gave us a bowl and chopsticks and they said, you know, help yourselves. Wow. And I tried everything on the table that night. Did you really? And I loved it all. Oh my gosh. So let me share with you what, you know, because after, I mean, that's when my whole life changed. Everything changed in my life. My whole trajectory of my life changed that night because I realized that I just overcame a fear so big that now I can help other people do the same thing. So then I started reflecting on it. Like, what was it (laughs) that made me eat everything there? But, you know, two days ago, no chance I would have eaten whatever, you know, I mean, I ate eggplant, tofu, green beans, mushrooms. We actually found out later it was a vegetarian restaurant. So there wasn't even meat, which was something that I kind of did eat. Yeah, it was, it was, all vegetables and all plant-based. Wow. And, and, and I, I mean, everything, I mean, still to this day, one of my favorite meals I've ever had. And we had it plenty of times while we were there. It was this bowl of noodles with eggplant over it. And like my mouth waters thinking about it, it was like <laughs> the best thing I've ever had. And, and I, I, I honestly, I had never put eggplant in my mouth. I had never had green beans. I had never had any of these things. I mean, tofu, are you kidding? You know? And I just had tofu last night. Like it's my favorite thing now. So here is what I think changed in that moment. And here's how I try to use my experience to help other people. A couple things. So for the first time in my whole life, nobody knew me as a picky eater. Yes. They are looking at me as they think me and Charlotte are identical twins because we're both blonde. You know, like they're just like, these are just foreign girls. Like we could do anything. It would be weird. So they didn't know anything about me and my eating habits. So nobody, you know, when I picked up the mushroom, nobody is saying, oh, wait, oh my gosh, Jackie's going to try it. Everybody, let's see if she likes it. You know, let's see if she's going to do it. Mm-hmm. Because that's, that was my whole life for 23 years. You know, oh no, you're not going to like that because it's kind of sour or it's too crunchy. Like people telling me what I would like or not like. Wow. And nobody, you know, in my childhood, I mean, really up till 23, ever meant to do it in a harmful way or anything. It was like, a protective thing. It was a cheering me on thing. It was like a supportive thing. But every single time that happened in my life, which was all the time, it was pressure and it was stressful and it was, it was really icky feeling and it put me on the spot. Oh, so I have to interrupt and and share something, which is, um, we, 
uh, we do have our oldest son is a picky eater, but this is a story that's a little bit more about um, he also had a sensitivity to things like really loud noises and he could make mm. noise. But if there were fireworks or something like that, he would go all to pieces. So um, mm-hmm. we wanted to, we wanted to go to Disney when he was probably 10 or 11. And like a year before we went to Disney, while we were in the planning stages, we decided one of the things we wanted to do was help him um, by by seeing if therapy would be a, a thing that would help him. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember one of the very first things that the therapist told us was um, it's a it, you know, we think we're helping when we say, listen, just to prepare you, like this is what you might hear or see mm-hmm. or whatever. She said, but actually what that's doing is it's causing him a lot more anxiety. Mm-hmm. So instead focus on the positives and just see like, what will this experience be like? And I can remember thinking like in retrospect, he, we had a blast at, um, at Disney and he, mm-hmm. the, really the, the main thing he needed was a pair of earplugs and the ability to choose or not to go on a ride. Mm-hmm. Pretty much that was it. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember thinking afterwards, like, if I if we had not had that advice, what I probably would have done was been like, okay, now listen, son, (laughs) right, we're gonna go in here, there might be like loud noises, and and it might Uh be really scary. Do you want to try it? And I could just see him being like, no, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Instead, it was like, you get to choose. Okay, here we go. Yep. Um, and and Absolutely. I just that resonates so deeply because mm-hmm. because I have seen somebody go through that exact same thing and, and did it myself and didn't realize Absolutely. even with the education that I had had that I was sort of doing something that was that was unintentionally but hurtful. Yes. Um, so. Yes. And I always two things I always love to say. One, I'm very, very close with my parents now. They've been like my biggest cheerleaders with this book. And, and I am so grateful that they allow me to share our story. I mean, it's, it's not just my story. It's our story. They, here's the second thing. They were doing the best they could with what they knew. And that's always the case. Like every parent, any parent listening to this, like you're doing the best you can, right? Like with what you know right now. And so what I try to bring to the table is, just a new perspective that can yeah. shift what you know. And, and, you know, and that's what the book is about. The book is from little aunt Addie, the aunt's perspective, my perspective as a kid. And I've had parents come to me and say, Whoa, I did not, I never thought about it that way. You know, yeah. I never thought my kid might be just not ready to try something and they just can't communicate it, you know? And that just turns into, I don't like it. Yeah. Right. You yeah. know, and the pressure, and so, so much pressure. Absolutely. And the pressure. And and the funny thing is, I mean, I was, I was, a, I, I actually considered being a theater major. I was in theater. I did acapella. I was like a stage girl. And you would think at a young age when I'm like, mom, look at me, go off the diving board, you know, that she would be like, oh, let's celebrate you when you try something new. Mm -hmm. But the second it shifted to food, it was like, I wanted nothing to do with it, you know? And there's a moment in the book that really happened. My mom took out her camera when I agreed to try a carrot and she's like, oh, Oh. let's take a picture of you, which was like so sweet, right? Like at any other time, I'm like, look at me, you know? And I was like, just wanted to be the center of attention. I'm the middle child. I'm the only girl. (laughs) And, and it, but the second it came to food, I didn't try that carrot that night. Like I have a picture of me with a carrot Aww. and I never tried it. Yeah. And it's in the book because it was like such a real example of this is like, but, but mom was just trying to help, yeah. you know? Yeah. She and, thought she was I, doing something that was going to be rewarding exactly. for you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so, so I, you know, I always want to really drive that point home that, you know, it took one, it took me a really long time 
Two, my parents have been supportive from day one. They just didn't know how to best support me when mm-hmm. I was younger because they didn't know any better. And three, like that, that applies to so many people, you know, no, not knowing and just doing your best. And so let's just shift that a little bit and let me share some experience that might be helpful, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah. So, so, so that was one, the idea that you're, no one knows that you're a picky eater. So you, yes, you, you yes. can choose Back to, to not China. be. So we're sitting yeah. at the table. So nobody knew I was a picky eater. I, number two, I had choice. There was a lazy Susan. Had they given me a plate full of scary food and said, enjoy, I would have felt like I had to eat the whole thing. I would have felt like, you know, I didn't have any say in what was put on my plate, how much was put on my plate, like all of that was told to me. So I think there's so much to be said in choice at dinner time. not mom is making seven different meals, but- mm. Here's my easiest example to think about it. Spaghetti night. You have spaghetti, you have sauce and meatballs, you have some Parmesan cheese, you have a salad and you have some bread rolls and maybe like some some green beans. But they're all separate until everybody chooses what they want. Because as a kid, I would have spaghetti, some Parmesan cheese and a bread roll. And mom would have spaghetti, some sauce and meatballs and a giant salad and some green, you know, like we're eating the same thing. So, so that, you know, I think that piece was how I sort of came to realize, oh, like when we're eating the same meal, even if we're eating different versions of the same meal, we're all eating the same thing and nobody's feeling left out. Um, and I mean, Addie wants to fit in, of course, it's about feeling left out when it comes to food. It's a, it's about like how I felt like I was bad. I felt like I was wrong because yeah. I couldn't eat something and I had to make my own meal, you know? And, and that was a peanut butter sandwich, which I was fine with because that was comfortable to me, but I didn't, you know, then I felt like I wasn't part of it, you yeah. know? So, yeah. so that was huge in China. Um, big lazy Susan, take what you want. Um, And then I also think, and I always laugh at this one, but chopsticks. I had never used chopsticks before. Ah. I was so distracted by using chopsticks, trying to get whatever food it was in my mouth anyway, that it was like, oh, I'm not even focusing as much on the food. And so that's another really fun thing to do at home. There's actually kid chopsticks. I'm sure you can order them on Amazon. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, with like the little plate, the little finger holders. It's like, what a fun way to just eat food. Like we eat every day and we always use the same fork and knife or spoon, you know, change it up a little bit, have it be a little bit different. Um, and, and just, and I've actually seen recently taking a, one of those little green Starbucks sticks, like a to-go stick yeah, um, and flipping it upside down and putting like blueberries or, or, you know, berries on it or something like that. It's like a little skewer. Yep, it's like yep. so cute, safe for kids. Just, <laughs> I was changing it up a little, right? Yeah. I was just thinking about um what we always used to have were these I found them at like a a, a thrift store, maybe three or four bags with like probably a hundred and fifty total of these little plastic swords mm-hmm. and with two boys in the house. Oh my god. I mean, to be able to skewer like melon or something like that right. with plastic swords was their favorite thing. Totally. And we as Absolutely. I as you're talking too, I'm realizing that um we we sort of tried it i guess the way that your that your folks did um mm-hmm. in the sense of like we we just we we tried things and did them wrong cuz we didn't know any better and mm-hmm. uh, it only got better when we 
when we started sort of relaxing about, we would do things like we would make sure to have a bunch of different dishes on the table. Not a bunch, but like yeah. we would have some choice, you know, yeah. some choices. Exactly. And, and and everybody could take whatever they, you can't go get your own stuff. Like right. you can't go get something else. This is what we're mm-hmm. eating, but you can, right. you can take from here. And, and that, that, but making sure that there's always something safe. Like as long yes, as there's exa- absolutely. a bread roll, like I'm not going to go to bed hungry. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I also have to say, my doctor sort of had already cleared me at this point. Like I didn't have any huge medical concerns. So I'm not here to say like, don't feed your kid. You know, I'm not yeah. here to give that medical advice, but, but, but my exactly. doctor had said like, she's good. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. so having a role at night, like I'll be fine. You know, I'm not going to bed hungry. Yeah. yeah. And, and there is that choice. And, there, and there's so much yeah. in, in just the world of early childhood, as I'm sure, you know, that yes. has to do with giving kids choices. And, um, and when we didn't, so I remember what we did at first was we sort of negotiated how many carrots and all that kind of stuff. And Mm -hmm. I just remember the look on our oldest face when he was probably two, three, uh, and, and, and we said to him, um, Ooh, these, these carrots taste just like candy. And he was like, Oh, I want to try candy. You know what I mean? And of course it totally didn't. And he was like, now I can't even trust you. Like, (laughs) so the only thing that, that worked for us, um, and it was years later before we did this, but we were much better, especially with when the younger boy was, I think one of the reasons he was less picky is because he, we just, it was, it was less about what you put in your mouth and much more about uh, the choice, you know, that everybody has their choices and also just the connectedness, just being at the table together. That, Absolutely. that is what, and that, that's still what keeps us coming back together for meals. Like, yes. you know, it's, it's. It's yes. still I mean, enjoyable. When you sit down so. to a table and like even think about like as an adult, like what's something that you don't like to eat now? Is there something that you don't like as an adult? Um, I have. So I actually came to a lot of things really late. I remember not <laughs> liking blue cheese dressing. I would always substitute uh, sour cream for blue cheese dressing if you were going to have buffalo wings or something. <laughs> and when I was like 35, I was like, all right, well, I'm 35 now. I can yeah. give this a try. And I was like, where has this been all my life? And right. the, the latest thing that that's happened with for me is um, only in, I would say, the last six or eight months, I have begun to really enjoy and look forward to red peppers or any, you know, green, you know, uh, sweet yeah. peppers. So that's yeah. one. That's an example. So, so think about like you're sitting with your girlfriends, you know, you haven't caught up since college and you're just having happy hour. And somehow the whole conversation turns into why aren't you eating these red peppers? They're so good. You have to have them. You have to eat them. We're not going to leave the table until you eat yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. Like, why We don't do it to adults. Why yep. do we do it to kids? Yeah. Right? You know, and, and instead letting it go and saying, I'm so glad you're at the table here. Like, I'm, I haven't seen you in so long. You know, like, that's what we do as peers, you know, as adults. And so after a long day of school and work and everything, like, just be at the table with your kids. Like, yeah. that is what they need. And, and leading by example, eating those red peppers once you like them. Oh, and here's another thing that I've actually just realized. Um, pretty recently in all of this picky eating reflection stuff. Mm-hmm. So I found out pretty recently or or not recently but since I had this experience in China that my dad was really picky as a kid. Oh wow. And I never knew that. He never shared that with me and my mom never shared that with me. And I think and I'm actually going to incorporate it into book 2 of Addie but I think had I known that I would have felt so much relief. Wow, well you're eating broccoli now. But you didn't eat it as a kid. Yeah, you, mind, you didn't like it. Okay, yeah. cool. 
Yeah. Great. I'm not crazy. Right. I'm not the only one. Like sometimes I felt like I was the only one. So why do we try to fool kids into thinking that we've always loved green beans? We haven't. We learned how to make them in a way that we like them, you know, throw some salt and pepper on them and roast them or whatever, you know? And so I think that is such a huge piece, the communication piece with your kids and not assuming or not making them think that everybody likes this. You're the yeah, only one. You're the you only know, weirdo it, who doesn't like this. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I can't believe you don't eat this. Wow. Well, that's very, it. Did that's, you eat it at that age? Yeah, right. Like, did exactly. you enjoy eating red peppers at that age? No. And so I think, and, and also sharing with your kids now being like, wow, red peppers have always been a really hard thing for me to eat. And guess what? I just, started eating them, you know, like sometimes it takes a whole lifetime, you know, it takes a long time for us to realize, wow, this is something I've been missing. And, and to be able to share that in a way that's about you, it's not about them. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And you're doing so, so much in that moment. You're taking away risk or you're taking exactly. away pressure. You're taking away yes. um, the idea that you are this isolated, strange person. Yeah. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's so good. <laughs> yeah. yes. I, we yes. are, our time is growing short and I yes. wanted to, <laughs> um, I wanted to bring up a question that one of the, uh, the women in our Facebook group in the We Turned Out Okay Facebook group had brought up. So you're in there too, which this is really fun because yeah. like, because um, I, I wrote a post about how, you know, if you've got questions for Jackie Lomenzo about food and picky eating, post them here. And then you're right. Like, I'm really looking I'm like, forward hey. to this. It's so cool. <laughs> um, yes. So, so you can, you know, anybody listening, you can join the We Turned Out Okay Facebook group just by going to the show notes for this episode and uh, clicking the link to join. Um, but right now, Jennifer from our Facebook group says... I'm a grown-up picky eater, so no wonder my six-and-a-half-year-old is unwilling to try new things. She is learning to trust me when I assure her that she'll like something or when I tell her she won't hate it at least, worth tasting even if you wouldn't choose to eat a whole serving of it. But still, most of the time she won't taste things or will taste with her mind already made up. Should I just quit and let her eat chicken nuggets all the time? And I just, this is so, I didn't look at this question sort of, I knew I was going to bring it in towards the end of our conversation. So uh, looking at it now, I'm realizing we've really already kind of talked our way around this, right? Yeah. I'm so interested in what, what your thoughts are for Jennifer. Yeah. So I definitely think, and I remember reading it and I was like, I'm not going to say anything now. I'll save it. (laughs) Uh, But I definitely think the piece of being open about it, you know, like I actually don't really like eating this either, but maybe we could try it together mm-hmm. or maybe we could try it in a new way. Um, but I would imagine if I were a kid and I, you know, when I was a kid and I knew I was picky, had I had somebody that said, I'm just like you, like, let's do this together. You know, yeah. I, I'll do it if you do it. I'm scared too. Um, and one of the things I like to say a lot is do it afraid. And we use that in elevate like a boss, which is just like, yeah, it's scary and it's not going to be easy, but you can still do it. And and that applies here with, you know, a mother daughter pair of, well, what if you pick something and I pick something and we're both scared to do it, but we can both do it anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and and I understand if mom is like, that's not the advice I was looking for because I don't want to try it either. I get that. But thinking <laughs> about those things that that are just outside your comfort zone. And there's so much also in um, food chaining. So maybe they like mac and cheese. Okay, let's change up the cheese this time. You know, maybe it's, let, let's move from box mac and cheese to 
quinoa and cheese with some something in it, right? Mm-hmm. So so we go from Kraft mac and cheese to pasta with orange cheese to pasta with white cheese to a different shape of pasta with a different cheese. You know, just moving trying and, stuff. And being open about it and saying, okay, this is still mac and cheese, which is a yummy, safe food, but we're going to try it a different way. Would you try it with me? You know, I've never had it this way either. Um, whether or not that's true, you know, not to lie about it, but to say like, well, I made a new recipe today. You know, what do you think? And then there's also so much to, can you help me make this? Well, so that they can smell it and feel it and touch it and look at it and feel comfortable with it, even if they're not ready to try it. Yeah. That is so helpful. And then not pressuring, right? Like, exactly. like the, exactly. Jennifer is saying, um, she's learning to trust me when I assure her that she'll like something or when I tell her she won't hate it. But I feel like, I guess this is a gentle nudge for our Jennifer, because what we want to do is, is, is take away any sort of like explanation or, or sort of rider mm-hmm. that you might put on this and instead say, mm-hmm. let's try it and see. Yes. Right. Yes. And I think I really, I, I really just think that the, the companion piece here is huge. And it's something, I mean, I wrote this book because I needed it as a kid mm. and I needed that like, like little light at the end of the tunnel that like, I'm not the only one that struggles with this and that there's hope like, and yeah. that, that Addie has her big moment and she, you know, she tries something on her own. Um, and that was actually another interesting thing. I just yesterday found on my computer, my very first draft of this book and it was not this ending. Oh. And I'm so glad that I changed it because the ending that I originally had was actually was using the example of the spaghetti night, you know, and, and everybody sort of got to share the same thing. And I was like, but wait, she didn't have her own moment. She wasn't her own hero. She needs yeah. to be her own hero. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, just, just funny side note, but, but no, I think for Jennifer, I think that is great. And actually, um, you know, I, I did actually just recently come up with a, or come out with an activity book that goes along with the book, but that aside, just sit down with a piece of paper with your daughter and, and say, well, what are 10 foods that you like? What are 10 foods that mommy likes? What are 10 foods that I've tried before or not tried before staying away from foods I don't like. We're not, we're not labeling those right now, Mm. but foods that I like foods that I've tried before and foods that I haven't tried before. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and just having that conversation. I think that was another thing with me as a kid. Like I didn't want to talk about food because it was so stressful for me. And every time food came up, there was pressure for me to eat it. Yeah. So instead, if it were like, oh, no, 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 no. Like we're not even, it's not mealtime right now. Like we're not even going to cook or make food. Let's just talk about it. And just, I'm curious, what do you like? What are your favorite 10 foods? Yeah. And I'll share mine with you, you know? That's cool. And, and maybe some are the same, maybe some are different. And it's just observation. It's just acknowledging that we all have different likes and dislikes. But are, right? we, are we saying though, that Jennifer should just let, as she says, just let her eat chicken nuggets all the time. Is that? <laughs> I so, really want to make sure that I, we address that part of it as well, because I'm just realizing. I think maybe that's a part of it. Is is if chicken nuggets are a thing, we might want to make them available, but with some other stuff. Is that? Would absolutely. you agree? So I I always have to sort of like I, I can share all day about like stop pressuring, stop putting all this intention, da da da. But also like make sure other things are available, you know, and and whatever it is that that Jennifer does like, make sure she's eating that and offering it. And if she says no, then end of story. How was your day at school? Like, what did you do at recess? You know, but it's, there's other things that are available. We're leading by example. When I know this is a different situation where Jennifer is saying like, 
Hey, I don't like a whole ton of stuff either. Um, but I think that in, I think for, for not specifically, not specific to Jennifer, I think in general, leading by example, showing, um, you know, that you just overcame something that you didn't like before red peppers, right? Yeah. Now you're like, Hey, I want to share this with you guys because I, just yesterday I didn't really love it. And I just realized if I have it with ranch dip, it's better or whatever. Mm-hmm. If I cook it this way, it's better, uh, for me. Yeah. Um, but yes, I think for Jennifer, I think, um, uh, like exposure to different things without the, you have to eat it. You, you know, and here's another thing that I always like to say. So the goal here, if we stop and think about it, isn't to get your kid to eat broccoli or whatever green vegetable tonight. It's for your kid to have a positive relationship with food over oh, time. So much. Oh my gosh. I feel like that is, that is such an important part of this. It's not right? about it's this. It's not about that. <laughs> this broccoli stem It's of, or this green bean. It's about yes. a positive relationship with food. Oh, that is so well said, Jackie Lomenzo. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> I, I, I like. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm really bummed because our time is is not just short now, but it's up. <laughs> it's up. It's up. Yeah. But we're I want to go out on like... that. I want to go out on that note and just kind of celebrating the idea that like, it's not about this meal. It's about a lifetime's relationship with food, and and yes. and that also I feel like a part of that is the lifetime's relationship with the people that you are yeah. sharing these meals with. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. If it's a battle every single meal, not only is that hurting relationship with food, also relationship with mom and dad or whoever's at the table, yes. you know, and I'm so grateful that my parents and I are still so close and we are able to look back at it and be like, oh my gosh, we were a mess back then. You know, no, none of us knew what we were doing, <laughs> but to be able to use that and help other people avoid that, you know, for so, such hardship for so many years of just like such battles Yeah, yeah. and, and to like, and, and I also have to say, it's not easy to let go and say, okay, I'm just going to trust the, trust the universe, trust the process. I like, know that's not easy as a parent. And I'm not even a mom, but I know there's a lot of mom guilt. There's a lot of mom shame. And when your kid is not eating broccoli, who, who does that reflect on it to reflects. society? It shouldn't, but it does reflect on mom. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's so super there's, there's so much more we could talk about. <laughs> I know. I feel like we could go on and on, but this, know, this is I such know. a great place to leave on though, because it's, it's, it's like a universal truth. You do have have to trust the universe in some ways like like the the good things can only come after you have sort of you know given up trying to control it and yes. and um and and the, I really feel a Jennifer so I'm talking to you right now but I'm also talking to everybody who's not yeah. Jennifer and is listening including myself when I listen back because yeah. sometimes these things yeah. worry me too and and I find it so reassuring to just hear these really really positive messages it's 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 gonna be okay it really will yeah yeah oh Jackie thank you so much for coming on the show today uh, thank you for having it's me this was so pleasure. great this yeah. was so great yeah. thank you and also I'm I just want to say thank you too for this book which is just adorable and and really well done and um i really hope that uh you know that it does well for you and um and also so jackie might be coming to a school near you if yes <laughs> if so actually listening. on my website under the book tab there is uh, a whole page if you want to request an author visit and oh, i have awesome. all, all that good stuff on there so i am very mobile i'm i'm a road tripper i love traveling and any excuse to travel so no matter where you are i could probably make it happen at some point so would love to do that and would love to get uh, request for that because then I would have a reason to get out to see yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be really, really cool. So, well, take yeah. advantage of that, definitely. 
Um, yes. You can find Jackie at JackieLomenzo.com. And I'm going to have a special link in in the show notes for uh, the book, which for the books page in Amazon, because that's where that's where that's located right now. Okay. You can find me at WeTurnedOutOK.com. And that's also where you'll find every back episode of our show and free guides on things like how to handle every temper tantrum, how to successfully potty train your young child, even under pressure. And I just want to say thank you so much for listening today. It means so much to Jackie and me that you have us in your ears. I've finally got a special thanks for our producer, the man who has watched along with me. He's watched our sons become downright adventurous eaters, and they were pretty picky. (laughs) He's the 21-time winner of the Husband of the Year Award. He's Benjamin Culp, and I'm so grateful to him for all he does for this show. And again, thank you so much for listening today. We will see you next time. Thank you for listening to We Turned Out Okay. I want a date to Australia. Find us on the web at weturnedoutok.com, where you'll find show notes and more. What do you call cheese that's not yours? Nacho cheese. And remember, we only go around once. To be the best parents we can be, let's relax and enjoy the ride. I want to pee in the woods. Derp, 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 derp,